Welcome. So glad that you guys are here. So glad that you decided to join us for Easter celebration. I'm going to get myself situated here. I'm kind of a um, tinkerer, so give me a minute just to get uh, in position. I am uh, so glad to be sharing this Easter Sunday with all of you. And uh, if you haven't met me or if I met you, my name is Rick. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, I, I love our church, and I'm so glad that, uh, that you decided to be here. Uh, whether you're a Center Church veteran, as I will say, a seasoned veteran, or whether you have just decided to check us out for the first time, thank you. Uh, we're glad to celebrate Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, uh, with you all. So I've titled today, uh, Stories. We're going we're gonna to talk about stories. So I thought it fitting that I would just start by telling you guys uh, a funny story from my past. The setting is 2007. I was <clears throat> freshly married to my wife, Thea, who's over uh, leading our kids now. And uh, we had just bought, um, bought a house. And we were desperately in need of a reliable car. Who can relate to a situation in their life when they were just like, we have no reliable cars. All right. The rest of you, God bless you, because <laughs> tell you what, having no reliable cars is a stressful thing. Um, so 2007, we decided we're going to go shop for a car. And so we go to uh, one of the local dealerships, which I will, re- I will leave unnamed because there might be people who experience the same trauma uh, as the people involved in this story. Uh, but we got, to, we got to interact with the salesman. He was awesome, just the nicest guy. And uh, so he comes out and greets us. We strike up a conversation about what we're need, needing and what we're Okay, so uh, it's 2007. We were shopping for a car. The, uh, the thing that, uh, that uh, is happening isn't really pertaining particularly to me and my wife. It's actually happening uh, just a few feet away from us for another family. And uh, it was two parents and a 16-year-old daughter, and they were shopping for a brand-new car for her 16th birthday. Wow, right? And, uh, and they're looking at a brand-new, at the time, Infinity Coupe. Now, I remember specifically the details because I was super annoyed that she was about to get a car that was three times more expensive than what I could afford. And, uh, and so I was just like, oh, you know, I just kind of had to like uh, take my anger and walk away. And so we're, we're getting ready to walk away. And, uh, and this girl, uh, they decided that they want to take it for a test drive. And so she jumps into the car, right? And they start the car and it's just purring like a kitty, you know, just like, you know, just nice sound. She's elated. The parents are, are celebrating this fact. And so the salesman says, well, why don't we take it for a test drive? And the car is parked on, if you've been to, you know, some of the nicer, bigger dealerships, they usually have like a really cool showroom. It's parked just outside of that on the big concrete surface uh, next to a few other cars, including another Infinity Coupe. And so this 16-year-old is in there, and the salesman's talking to the parents about some of the, the details, and she's revving the engine, and then all of a sudden, uh, chaos happens. Somehow, she puts it in gear, pops the clutch. I don't know what happens. It sends the car jerking and hopping along the concrete and crashing into another brand-new Infinity Coupe. <laughs> And, uh, and I just, I, I share this story because uh, not too far away were myself and my wife trying not to laugh out loud uh, at someone else's pain and the other salesman who was working with us just shaking his head like, 
what in the world just happened? What in the world just happened? Uh, I remember that story vividly, as I've said, and it's because uh, it was at someone else's pain. And, uh, and we love stories, right? Like, we love stories as a people. Uh, we love a good story specifically. We love uh, heroic stories, right? Superhero movies are very popular right now. We love love stories, right? Some of us are big into love stories. We love uh, stories that are funny, and we love stories that are uh, about other people's failures, uh, like this family that we interacted. That says something about me that that's the one that I picked to tell you, obviously. But here's how I know we're drawn to stories. Because in a minute, I'm going to tell, tell you a story that you're probably familiar with, but we're going to talk about it anyway. But here's how I know we're drawn to stories. Uh, multi-billion dollar companies all over the world have entire departments dedicated to telling you the stories about their products and services that they offer and why they're important to us, right? They have entire departments spending millions of dollars uh, telling you a story about the product. So just imagine this. Imagine if that wasn't the case for a second. Imagine if the next commercial that you watched uh, about, was about a cell phone that they were trying to sell you, and it was just me sitting on my couch trying to tell you how awesome the phone was, right? Pretty boring, right? That's not going to be a very compelling story. But instead, what you have is you have these wonderful displays of people dancing through the night, getting showered by uh, paint and colorful water and, and driving in sports cars, hanging out the windows at dangerous speeds on suspiciously empty roads in the world's most populous, populated cities, right? Like, like, you just can picture that commercial, right? And, and this is all made possible, of course, by that cell phone that they're holding in their hand, right? That brand new cell phone that, that you obviously need. Well, we love stories. I've established that. And our culture understands that we are drawn into and buy into stories, that we buy into narratives. Each and every person here is trying to create their own narrative. Your life is your narrative. Your life is your story. You're trying to, to, to take it as it comes and, and bob and weave the, the difficulties and celebrate the wins. But uh, we know, we know that we all have a story. Stories are huge in our culture. And a lot of times, the stories that our culture tells us specifically about ourselves are just not true. They're false narratives. We are especially interested when people talk about us. We talk about ourselves more than we talk about anything else, right? That's why I love having a microphone, because <laughs> you have to listen to me talk about me, right? That's what we love. We love that. And so we love when other people shape their stories and their narratives around our lives and tell us about who we are. The problem is, is there are a number of false narratives out there that we have bought into in today's world. And so what I want to do today is I want to contrast the true story, the true narrative of Jesus and what that means for our lives to what the world might tell you is true about your life that I just don't believe to be true. So I'm going to list uh, just five of the more popular ones to start out just so you kind of have an idea of what I'm talking about. The first one is the narrative of consumerism. The idea that the best life possible is found in having the best stuff. 
right? Like, I do like stuff. Uh, I like shoes. I like new cell phones. I've had the same cell phone now for two years, and it feels like an eternity, okay? I can't lie. Like, that's, that's a narrative that I've bought into, but more of what we already have isn't going to make our lives more fulfilling or more meaningful. New things, eventually the shininess wears off, they become dull, and dullness leaves us wanting more, does it not? And then you have the second one, which is secularism, the idea that the only things that truly exist are things that we can see, touch, hear, smell, taste, right? Things that are empirically known. There's no room for faith in the world of secularism. Or nationalism, some of us understand this, if we just maintain the, 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 the national narrative that we are in our nation, the, the best ever, right? If we just maintain that, then the world will always be a better place. And I think we've observed that that's just not true. The last couple of years have kind of shown us that, we're, that that's just not true about who we are. That's another narrative that we buy into that's just not true. Or progressivism, this is a popular one. The story that if we just keep moving forward, that we reject the thoughts and ways of times past, that eventually we will become better people. And I think that history shows us that that too is not the case. History tells us that if we just keep moving forward, sometimes moving forward is not necessarily the right direction, okay? And then the fifth one, which is the one that I tend to fall into, is cynicism, Right, the narrative that no one can be trusted, no one's motives are pure, everybody's just living the game of life for their own benefit, right? I see some people shaking their heads like, yep, uh-huh. Like, that's what happens when you're a person and you interact with other people and they hurt you, we just become cynical people. But even that narrative is not one that we should buy into. It's not the true story of who we are. God created us to live under a different narrative. And even though I would say that this particular idea will ruffle some feathers, I would say this. The Christian story, the story of Jesus, the narrative that God has been creating is the only true narrative that we have. It's the only true narrative that we can live under that leads to the best version of our lives. Now, I know what some of you are thinking Like, whoa, 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 just a second here, Rick. Don't you know this is 2018? Don't you know that in the postmodern era, truth is relative? Like, come on, Rick, what's wrong with you? Don't you know that the correct question is not whose truth or what is true, but it's whose truth is it? Well, I will say this. I have studied uh, ontological opinions and epistemological opinions. I know the prevailing thoughts of the postmodern era, and I just don't buy the narratives that the world is trying to tell me about myself. I think they in and of themselves are flawed, but it's not even that specifically that leads me to the conclusion that the story of Jesus is indeed the best story. It's my experience. It's the life that I've lived. It's the the situations that I've been put in, the education that I've been fortunate to receive, the thought, the critical thought that has gone into many years of trying to be a better person, a better husband, a better follower of Jesus. All of those things have arrived at the idea that Jesus is indeed the only true narrative that we have. 
and experiencing, observing, and thinking about how the, the world's narratives, some of which ones that, that I've listed for you, but there's others, and they conflict with the story of Jesus, I think I've arrived, I know I have arrived at the conclusion that that is indeed the only true narrative that we have. So let me give you a couple of examples here. Uh, take, for example, the narrative of consumerism and how this might push back or how the story of Jesus might push back on this, right? Uh, if that is your guiding narrative, if consumerism is the thing that I've said, yeah, this is my, this is my narrative, uh, then generosity cannot be part of your language. Because uh, consumerism says take, hoard, keep, do not share, do not give to others. But I know that this can't be true because generosity has changed my life over and over and over, both being generous and receiving the acts of generosity from others. And some people might say, well, yeah, but that's for Christians. I'm not a Christian. That's okay. Uh, now what are you going to do about that? But I, I would say this. I would push back just a little bit and say, but I've seen non-Christians be generous as well. It's not just Christians that are generous. And so if, uh, if people who are not Christians are, are also generous, then consumerism can't be their true narrative as well. Generosity is just an example of Jesus's narrative pushing out the false narratives that we buy into from our culture today. Or how about this, uh, secularism, if that's the thing that you're like, you know what, uh, I'm an empiricist, I only believe in what I can see, touch, hear, smell, feel. I have this conversation, and it often happens with younger people pretty often. It sort of goes like this, right? They, they tell me, I just don't know if I, can, if I can have faith in something. I just don't know if I can believe in something that I can't empirically experience, right? And so I have this conversation with them. I kind of walk them through an exercise and say, okay, well, do this for me. Tell me, where do you keep your money, right? Where do you keep your money? And of course, most people, if they're not weird, respond, the bank, <laughs> right? I've had a couple backyards. Okay, well, tell me where you live because I'm going to come get it. Uh, <laughs> I say, okay, okay, so, so tell me, uh, when you give them a piece of paper that says it's worth a given amount, uh, that's actually not worth anything at all, right, whether it's a, a dollar or even a paycheck, and they take it and they put it in a drawer with all the other pieces of paper, uh, do you have any idea what happens with your money after that? Well, of course, the answer is no, not really. Okay, so how do you know it's still your money? And then they're like, well, I have a deposit slip, Right. So now you're telling me that a different piece of paper that you're probably going to throw away or put under your car seat, right, or something in the next couple of minutes is now how you know that your money is yours and is now safe. And they say, well, I trust the bank to take care of it. And I would just side note say that Depression-era people would probably push back against that notion pretty heavily, but in our world, it's a little different. So I would say, okay, so you have faith that the bank is going to keep your money safe. Because really, when you're not there, and even when you are, you, you really have no idea what's happening with your money. You just see a number printed somewhere or displayed on a screen, right? It's compounded by the fact that in the digital age, uh, you don't even have to show up to the bank to do pretty much any financial transaction, right? You have the little plastic card that tells you that you're okay to buy this thing, right? That's a lot of faith. There's a lot of faith happening there. And so I kind of have that conversation with people who are like, I, if, I just, if I can't experience it empirically, it doesn't exist. Well, I say, well, I think your finances tell a different story. 
But maybe that particular example is just too simple for you, or maybe you're like, well, I do. I just keep all my cash. Well, then how about this one? How about inherent value? Specifically in people, can you see, touch, smell, taste, inherent value? No. But do you believe that humans are indeed valuable? I would say yes. I would say most of us live by that. The point is that we can't necessarily measure the value, but we believe in it, right? Consumerism, secularism, all of these different narratives try to push you into the corner of you are a commodity who needs more commodities. You're not very valuable unless you have things that are valuable, and that's just not true. The Christian narrative, however, tells a very different story, which we'll read in just a second. It tells us that of all the things that exist in the universe, you as a person, as a human being, hold the highest value in the eyes of the Creator. Of all the things that exist, you are of highest value in God's economy. And it's not just Christians who operate this way. Right? It's not, just, it's not just us saying, yes, I'm a Christian. I believe that humans hold the highest value because when I, when I see a tragedy like a plane crash, what do we mourn? We don't mourn the multi-million dollar plane that crashed. We mourn the people who were affected by it because they hold more value. They're more valuable than all of the things that were impacted by that. The people, of course, that's just a duh, and yet our narratives that we buy into, into our culture, just tell us a different story, and we believe it. And so I want to share with you a passage from Ephesians 2 that tells a different story about you specifically and about me specifically and about what Jesus did when he took the cross and died on it and was three days later resurrected on Easter Sunday. So if you want to follow along, it'll be on the screen, but you can also look in your Bibles, Ephesians 2. We're going to read verses 1 through 10. It says this, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very own nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of his incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all that he has done for those of us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God, 
Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. So let's just take that, that narrative and just kind of sum it up. If I were to divide it up into before Jesus or without Jesus and then with Jesus, here's how it looks. Before Jesus, we were once dead because of our sins. We were dead because of our disobedience. We were ruled by the commander of the powers in the unseen world. I want to pause right there. Have you ever noticed how even people who don't believe in God get very spiritual when difficult things are happening in their lives? They might even pray, and they don't know who they're praying to, but it's because we believe in an element of spirituality, and it says right here, it talks about how uh, the ruler by the commander of the unseen world, it's real. It's a real deal thing. It's working against us. And then, of course, all of us were in the same boat, subject to God's anger. But now we have the wonderful resurrection of Jesus. And then in that moment, he flipped it. So here's what our new narrative is. We are alive, living an abundant life. We are united to Jesus. We are seated in the heavenly realms with Jesus. We are his guest of honor. That's pretty incredible. We are saved by grace. We are examples of his grace. You are God's masterpiece. I want you to hear that. You are God's masterpiece. And we are given a fresh start to do the good things that he prepared for us in advance. You are not an afterthought. God knew you before you existed. You were the focal point of his attention, his grace, and his mercy from the beginning of time, and you will continue to be so for the remainder of time. That is a narrative I want to buy into. That's a narrative I want to buy into. And not only that, I want to celebrate it. And guess what? That's what Easter is about. It's about celebrating this new narrative that Jesus established through his death and resurrection on the cross. It's for everyone. And all you have to do is just believe. All you have to do is just believe in it. I love that. So you may not have had him in mind this whole time, or maybe you have had God and Jesus in mind, but you just couldn't trust what you didn't know. But I want to tell you this. He has had you in mind. And he paid the bill for the sin that it talks about that we were dead to. He paid the bill for that so that we could live underneath his narrative of freedom, underneath his narrative, narrative of grace, the story of his mercy and his truth. Easter is about celebrating the selfless act of Jesus that has given everyone access to him. We have major cause to celebrate. This day marks the moment when all of our stories turn from death to life, from burden, the burden of shame to the freedom that comes with his grace. And I want to share this quote with you. It's from a, uh, a pastor uh, in the Seattle area, Jeff Vanderstilt is his name. And he talks about celebrating as Christians. And he, he's kind of going to get at, uh, he's talking uh, outside of this quote about why we celebrate as Christians and how we're supposed to celebrate. So let me read this to you. Every culture has celebrations. 
Your job as Christians is to engage in the celebrations with those people. We bring the better wine. We bring what is lacking. We ought to be known as the greatest party people on the planet. We ought to party like crazy because we actually have something to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. I love that. I love that truth. We get to celebrate because of that. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap up our time or, or my piece today. And I, I just tried to, I was like, how am I going to sort of illustrate? How am I going to illustrate? Tyler, thank you, because it was about to get really hard for me to hold on to this mic and do what I'm about to do. And you'll see why here in a second. But he got it going. All right. There we are. I wanted to kind of paint a picture of what God has done in my life through this true narrative. And so I was like, how am I going to do that? How am I going to uh, sort of illustrate what it's like to be under um, the false narratives of this world? Now, I practiced this so that I wouldn't fall down trying to put this on. <laughs> so bear with me if I do. Uh, oh, hey. I did buy the double XL so that I could just slide into it nice and easy. So Joel says, bigger is always better. Okay, so I was like, okay, how am I going to do this? In fact, I'm going to take these off because it's about to get messy up here. All right? Yep, that's right. And I know you're thinking, what the heck is he doing, right? And, uh, and so, you know, my life, I was fortunate to, gr- go, to grow up in a home that was a Christian home. My parents took me to church, my brother. Um, but regardless, like, all of life for every human, whether they've been in the lowest places that you can imagine or uh, maybe in, like, my situation where it was really pretty easy, um, we have things that sort of mark us, right? We start life, and really our lives are pretty beautiful in the sense that at the beginning of our lives, the canvas of our life is, is, is blank, to, per se. Like, it's a blank canvas, and so the possibilities are truly endless, right? And you know that from, like, as a young person, all these dreams. Like, I was pretty sure at this point in my life I was going to fly to the moon, design a cool building, and own 10 sports cars. Eh, none of those things have happened yet, but I still think my life's pretty good. You get the point. But as life goes on, of course, what we do is we have things that we experience. And, and most of these things, I'm going to be honest with you, come from our interactions with other people, Right? Most of life, whether we want to, whether we voluntarily or involuntarily are subject to interactions with other people, uh, they lead us to those interactions, right? So maybe it was marriage that united you with your spouse, and, and that was something that, uh, that was you know, your first serious interaction with a person. Hopefully not, <laughs> uh, but maybe that was the case. Or you have a career and you have coworkers and, and now you're kind of in their lives and they're in your life and you know their problems, they know your problems, they understand how hard it is to be you and how hard it is to be around you, right? Yeah, some of you are like, okay, yeah, all right. Or maybe you have children and their mistakes wear on you, right? Like whether they're young or grown up and they're doing things and you're like, oh, what are they doing, right? Like as my kids grow, I'm like, I get it now. I get why my mom was trying to tell me what to do all the time. Right, mom? She's in the back, so she can hear that. Right? Or maybe uh, you just develop some habits and hobbies, and you have all of these things that uh, force you to interact with other people. I like to golf. Uh, You get to really see the true colors of people on the golf course. Right, MJ? Yeah, yeah. 
And hopefully along the whole way, you've gained some friends. So one way or another, you're going to have people in your life, right? If life was just about stuff, in some ways, it actually might be a little easier, but it's impossible. It's impossible to just be about stuff. People are going to invade your space, whether you like it or not. And so what happens is, is these people come into our lives and they leave residue, right? So maybe you have, and here's where it's going to get messy, um, maybe you have a spouse who just is a jerk, right? And they just kind of leave this nasty stain, right, on you because they don't know how to talk to you properly or they don't know how to treat you with respect or, or they just hurt you in other ways. Or maybe, um, just maybe, you have coworkers who don't know how to handle themselves and you're not the one that's going to be the problem. They are indeed the problem. Or maybe your career is, is in shambles, and that dream job that you thought you had or wanted was just, just not there, and you're doing something just to make a living. Your kids grow up, and they leave you, and they, and they do things that make you frustrated, and they, uh, they, they tell you that, um, you know, they tell you things that are hurtful because they don't know how to handle this newfound responsibility of being an adult, right? And over the course of time, you start to get these marks, or, or maybe your habits and your hobbies just kind of become unhealthy, and they just slowly kind of leave their mark, right? Just, just kind of all over you. Or maybe, just maybe, you have um, friends who hurt you, who abandon you, or do something that, that just makes you think to yourself, why do I even talk to people at all? And pretty soon, you look at your life, Right? And you're covered in the residue of life. This black, tar-looking, nasty kid's paint. I can't believe that kids touch this stuff. <laughs> but, but the good news is, and here's, here's where we're going to wrap it up. The good news is, is that Jesus changes all of that. He says, come to me, you who are tired, burdened, and lost. He says, there is no longer any condemnation for those of you who are in Jesus. He came to give us life, and not just any life. He came to give us an abundant life. He is working for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And we are his masterpiece created to be examples of his incredible grace and mercy. And so pretty soon, our lives, because of what Jesus is doing in and through us, are different, right? We start to see that what Jesus is doing covers up the shame of life and the residue of hurt and remorse. And pretty soon, we understand that Jesus' handprints are all over us, and they've changed who we are. They've changed the story of what our life is and can be, and he did it all on Resurrection Sunday. His handprints are all over us. His colors are bright and shiny, and they give life. They're not black and dark and nasty. There's even glitter. <laughs> That's how you know it's Jesus colors, right? The story of Easter is really a story about Jesus, but about Jesus on our behalf. 
The story of Easter, the celebration of Easter is celebrating the finality. If you were with us last week, Pastor Kelly talked about the finality of Christ's death as he entered into Jerusalem and prepared for uh, his death on the cross. Well, guess what? Three days later, he created a new finality. It's the finality of our story, the story of God's love for us and our new life through him, one where you can see his handprints all over your life, changing your life for the better in every imaginable way, going from death to life. God has called you his masterpiece, and he wants you to be an example of what he's done in your life. That means he may, you know, you're going to have difficult things. I'm not saying life's not going to be difficult, but you are going to be an example of his wealth, his grace, his mercy. You are his heir. You are his masterpiece. This is the big idea. Easter is about celebrating the finality of our new story, the true narrative that Jesus created when he was crucified and resurrected on Easter Sunday. Let's take a minute and pray. If you just bow your heads and close your eyes. Now, I I told you the narrative, and I, I hopefully I illustrated it to some degree, how Jesus has worked into my life, how he's put his handprints all over my life. Um, and, and I refer back to the scripture we read earlier that the, you know, the only thing that you have to do to receive that is to believe in him. And so we're gonna, we're gonna pray in just a second, but I just quickly, this isn't something we normally do, but um, if that's something that you want, uh, while everyone's heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I, I'm going to ask that you just either slip your hand up or make eye contact with me so that you too can, and uh, so that I can celebrate with you in your newfound narrative, in your new story. If that's something that you want, just slip your hand up now before I pray for you or make eye contact with me. Just let me know that, that we're celebrating together as I pray with you. Awesome. God, thank you for today. Thank you for the narrative of the cross and resurrection of Jesus, the incredible wealth of your grace and mercy bestowed upon this world so that everyone, everyone, regardless of their past, regardless of their faults and failures, they can too receive this true narrative. And God, I pray that you would help us to push back against the false narratives of our culture and our world, ones that are telling us that we're not valuable and that we're not worth anything, God. That, that's just not true. We are of highest value to you. You created us. You get to assign that value, and you said, you know what? You are my masterpiece. Each and every person in this space today is God's masterpiece. So I pray that we would embrace that, that we would receive that, God, thank you for Resurrection Sunday. Thank you for this beautiful celebration that today gets to be because of what you've already done, that we just get to, we just get to revel in that glory and celebrate and eat and have candy and, and dress up nice, God, just all the things that are, are so fun because of what wasn't fun and what you had to do for us. I pray that we would, we would embrace that, we would celebrate that, Lord.